Uh, well, good morning, uh, Emmaus. Uh, like Joel said, my name's Brandon, uh, and uh, I'm one of the pastors at River City here in Dubuque. My family moved to Dubuque in 2016 to help plant that church, and by God's grace, uh, things are going well. God's at work. People are growing in their faith. People are becoming Christians. God's at work in the community there, so we're grateful for that. Uh, but before I was a pastor at River City, I was involved in, on staff with a college campus ministry for over 10 years called InterVarsity, and, and God did some really transformational work in my life during my college years and got to be a part and a privilege of the work that God was doing in the lives of others in that time period. And so I have a special place in my heart for college students and for the work that God does in your lives in this season and period in your lives. And so I'm excited to be with you this morning. I just want to encourage you, if you haven't found a church to be plugged in with during your time here at school, man, we'd love to have you at River City. Love to help you find, be a place where you can keep growing in your faith and learning more about what it looks like to love and serve and follow Jesus. So all that said, I'm glad to be with you this morning. I'm looking forward to opening up God's word with you. One of the things you've been going through, uh, as Joel mentioned this, this fall in chapel, is you've been thinking about what it looks like to walk in step with the Spirit and what it looks like to be characterized by growing in the fruit of the Spirit. And as you may have guessed by the passage that was read this morning, uh, I've been asked, like I said, to speak on the fruit of love this morning out of Galatians chapter 5. And as we think about the kind of love that God's Spirit produces in us this morning, what I want to do in our time together is just three things for you. I want to define what the spiritual fruit of love is all about. I want to point out some counterfeit versions that are often mistaken for the real thing. And lastly, I want to show you how Jesus is not just the perfect example of love, but how dwelling on his demonstration of love towards us is actually the thing that produces the spiritual fruit of love in our hearts and in our lives. And so, in other words, our roadmap this morning is just going to be what is love, what isn't love, and how the gospel produces the, spirit, the, fruit, the spiritual fruit of love in our hearts and lives. And so, with that in mind, let me just pray and we'll dive into together. God, we're so, we're so thankful for you and for your word. And as we gather this morning to uh, sit under its teaching, we pray that you might by your spirit be at work in us, causing us to see the truth about uh, your love for us, about the fake loves we mistake for the real thing. But most importantly, Jesus, might you help us to see the beauty and the grandeur and the glory of your love for us made known in the gospel. And might that empower us as we see it and as we put our faith in it to respond and be characterized by that kind of love for, for you and for others. And so uh, I don't have any power to make that happen, but you do. And so we ask that you would for our good and for your glory, we pray. Amen. Well, like I said this morning, first begin, what is love, right? Well, the first thing the Apostle Paul lists when he outlines the fruit of the Spirit, the very first thing in the list is love. And that, that should come as no surprise to us, right? In the, just the preceding couple of verses, right before our passage this morning, Paul highlights how you can be the most skilled, the most humble, the most gifted person in the world, but if you are not characterized by love, then none of it matters, Again, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul exhorts Christians towards compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. It's a list that sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit. And at the end of verse 14, he says it this way, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, the reality is that love is not just the first fruit of the Spirit. Love is the foundation on which all of the fruit of the Spirit are built on. 
But love can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so it's really important that you ask the question, what what does Paul mean when he's talking about uh, this kind of love that the Spirit produces in us? Whether that's in Galatians 5 or in 1 Corinthians 13 like we read. And the truth is, is that in English we just have one word for love, right? You talk about the way you feel about pizza and your family with the same word, right? It's, and even though you probably don't mean the same thing, right, uh, you still use the same word. But, but in Greek, the language that the Bible, much of the New Testament's written in, there's a bunch of different, more precise words that describe different kinds of love with a lot more specificity. There's storge, which refers to the kind of love and affection between family members. There's eros, which refers to a kind of a romantic love between a husband and a wife. There's phileo, which refers to a friendship or a camaraderie, right? That's where the city of Philadelphia gets its name, the city of brotherly love. But the word that's used for the kind of love that, dis- that is described as the fruit of the Spirit, right? And you guys are going to be familiar with this. You're in Bible college, right? It's the, it's the word agape. And that word is the, it's the highest and purest kind of love in the Greco-Roman world. It refers uh, to a kind of selfless love that's characterized by devotion and sacrifice and service of others. It's a kind of love that's, that's not based on perceived worthiness or reciprocal benefit, but instead it's rooted in the intrinsic value of another person. 1 Corinthians 13 offers us probably the most clear and concise description of what that kind of love looks like. It's a passage that we read this morning. It's usually read at weddings, and that's totally fine and good. You can't find a better picture of the kind of love that should characterize a marriage. But what's really important that you understand is that uh, Paul didn't write those words in the context of a wedding ceremony. He actually wrote those words in the context of of, of a fight that was happening in a church. It was a description of love that was meant to wake people up to their own lack of love. It was a description of love that was meant to shake them awake to how inferior their love really was. How their own was full of pride and selfishness. How what they called love wasn't really love at all. And it's in that context that Paul writes in verse 4 through 7 about how love is patient. Literally, the word that he writes there means that love is long-suffering. It puts up with a lot of crap. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't seek to honor itself or dishonor others, but instead in the flip, he says it seeks to honor others It's not easily angered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't get bitter. It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It protects, it trusts, it hopes, it perseveres. This kind of love doesn't end. It doesn't give up. It doesn't fail. It doesn't let you down. And Paul says that's the kind of love that the fruit of the Spirit produces in you. That's the kind of love that his spirit, when he dwells in you, produces in you. And if we're honest, that kind of love, it almost feels unreal. And that's because there's a bunch of counterfeit versions of love that we mistake for the real thing. All kinds of versions. I'm just going to give you five, five counterfeits we, we often see. The first is that we often mistake this passive feeling of affection for the initiating action of agape love. When you look at that description Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, did you notice how it's not full of emotional words? 
It's full instead of action-oriented words. Love is patient, it's kind, it's others-centered, not self-centered. It protects, it perseveres. One pastor said it this way, love that's a fruit of the Spirit is not a victim of emotion, it instead is a servant of the will. See, agape love is not merely a feeling. It is a choice that is demonstrated with actions. Romans chapter 5, 8 says it this way, that God demonstrates his love for us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, this is how God shows his love. See, agape love is not characterized primarily by a feeling, but rather it's demonstrated in selflessness and sacrificial actions. See, that brings us to the second counterfeit we often mistake for the real thing. We often mistake self-seeking love with sacrificial agape love. You see, you often hear about couples who will say after they've been married for years that the love just isn't there anymore. Right? They've fallen out of love with each other. And, and that's often because self-seeking love was mistaken for real, sacrificial agape love. Often those relationships, they started out full of passion and excitement and emotions and feelings of affection. But anyone who's been married for like at least 10 minutes uh, knows that marriage is actually really hard and there aren't any perfect spouses. And there's a whole lot of times where you have to choose to love someone who doesn't really feel all that lovable in the moment. And for any marriage to work, it's going to require a whole lot more than reciprocal affection. It requires a choice to sacrificially serve and to seek the good of someone else even when they are not seeking your own good. See, that's what the kind of love that you see happening, not just with spouses, but with kids. Right? Some of you are parents here. Some of you will be one day. What happens with kids is that you sacrifice for them. You serve them, even when they don't give you anything in return. I remember when we had our first daughter, Emma. It was like two months before she even smiled back. Right? And you're like, you have no idea what we are doing for you here. Right? Like, I am so tired. Right? Like... But what happens is as you sacrificially love and serve your kids, what happens is that your love for them grows out of your sacrifice and your service for them. See, agape love is rooted in sacrificial actions that produce affection, not the other way around. Third, we often mistake convenient love for, for costly agape love. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus points out how the, this kind of counterfeit love when he says that you've heard it said that, <coughs> that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you, uh, what are you doing any more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? See, agape love, the fruit of the Spirit, is not marked by loving those who are easy to love. It's marked by loving those who are hard to love, which is always costly. See, everyone loves the people who love them in return. That's easy. Everyone does that. But that's not the kind of love that is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. That's not the kind of love that God's Spirit produces in us. See, the fruit of the Spirit kind of love is marked by loving those who are hard to love, even your enemies, even those who oppose you. 
Fourth, we often mistake unconditional acceptance and approval for agape love. See, God loves to meet us where we are, but he does not leave us there. True love, agape love, it does not approve of every action and every behavior and every desire because not every action and not every behavior and not every desire is right and good. As 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not delight in evil. It doesn't cheer for sin. It rejoices instead with what is true. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10 adds this, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You see, agape love points others towards the truth of God and does not approve of what is offensive to him. Last, number five, we mistake merit-based love or true agape love. If you and I are honest with ourselves, more often than not, we express love because we find other people attractive or because we believe that they are somehow worthy of it in some way or another. Whether they've earned it, whether they've merited it from us, whether we think that they're worthy of it, but that instead is not agape love. You see, agape love is not rooted in the worthiness of the beloved. Deuteronomy chapter 7, God tells the Israelites that he did not love them because they were greater or bigger or more significant. No, God says he loved them because he chose to do it. And so the question that you have to ask with all these counterfeit loves running around is, how do you tell if you've got the real thing? How do you tell if you have the real fruit of the spirit of love in you? How do you tell if you're really growing in that kind of a love? Well, at banks, when they train tellers to identify the counterfeit bills, you'd think that the way that they do it is that they'd show a bank teller a bunch of examples of fake bills. And they do show them some examples of things, but the real way that you train a bank teller to identify the counterfeit is by helping them to become an expert in the real thing. A bank teller, they don't even have to look at bills oftentimes to know that they're fake. They can just feel it in their fingers. You see, the way that you become able to identify the counterfeits and the, is by becoming an expert in the real thing. And so if we're going to be familiar with the real thing so that we don't even need to look at a bill, right? If, if you want to see the kind of love that the Spirit produces in you, you've got to take a long, hard look at the real thing. 1 John chapter 3.16 says it this way. This is how you know what love is. He says, this is how you know what the real thing looks like. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. See, John says, Jesus is the definition. He's the example. He's the exemplar. That's how you know what the real thing is. And the only way you can learn to identify the counterfeits is when you become an expert in the real thing. You see, Jesus' love for us was not merely a feeling of affection, nor was it convenient. Instead, it was an initiating love that demonstrated itself at costly sacrifice. First John chapter 4, verse 9 says it this way, This is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. First John 3, 16 says that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and he did so not on our best day, not when we were most deserving of it, not when it was easy, 
easy for us, easy to be loved, but as Romans chapter 5, 8 puts it, that God demonstrates his love for us while we were still sinners. That's when Christ died for us, when we were opposed to him, when we were his enemies, God chose to love us with a costly, sacrificial kind of love. And Jesus' love for us wasn't self-seeking, and it wasn't merit-based. It wasn't based on what you could offer him or do for him or how worthy you were. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 goes on to say that this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And that he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5 puts it this way. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. See, here's the truth. We didn't love God a little bit and then he chose to love us back. No, when we didn't love him at all, when, we, when the only thing we loved was ourselves, he came to be the sacrifice that would atone for our sins. See, and here is the, here is the reality, the, the single most important thing I want you to see this morning is that the only way you become characterized by that kind of love for God and for others is when his love for you melts your heart. When his radical, beautifully baffling love for you is captivating and compelling, it will reshape your love for others. See, it's only when you see that God has loved you, not because of or what you could do for him, not because of what you brought to the table, not as a response to your love for him, but instead because he simply chose to direct his love towards you, you will start to love others in that kind of a way. It is only when you see that God loved you, not when it was easy or convenient, but when it was hard and when it was costly and when you were his enemy, that you'll start to love others who are hard to love, even those who stand in opposition to you. And it's only when you see that God showed his love for you, not merely with words, but with sacrificial actions, that you'll start to demonstrate a love for others with sacrificial actions and not merely superficial language. And it's only when you see that God loved you when you did not deserve to be loved. When there was nothing about you to woo you to him that you'll start to love others not based on how worthy of love you think they are. But you will start to love others out of an overflow of God's love for you even when you know they aren't worthy of it. It's so important that you see this. You cannot grow in the fruit of the Spirit by trying harder and doing better. The default mode of every human heart ever is to try harder and do better. By definition, it, it doesn't work. You cannot become characterized by this kind of love by trying harder and doing better. The only way you grow in the fruit of the Spirit is when the good news of the gospel, when the baffling beauty of who Jesus is and all that he has done begins to sink deeply into your heart. See, the only way that you start to love in a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of way is when you see that Jesus has already loved you like that. 
First John chapter 4 says it this way, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love itself comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, but whoever doesn't love doesn't know him. See, because God is love, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ has loved you and given himself up for you as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, the reality is that the degree to which the gospel is beautiful and captivating to you will be the degree to which you are characterized by being filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And when that is not how your love is characterized, it should be a red flag to you, alerting us to the reality, as John chapter 4 told us, that you either do not know God's love or that you have forgotten it. You see, some of you are here this morning, and the only person you have ever come even close to loving in a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of way is yourself. And I say that not to beat you up, not to make you feel bad about yourself, but I say that to you because God wants to wake you up to the reality that that is not enough. It is not who he has called you to be. And it is certainly not the fruit of his spirit's transforming work in your life. And again, the solution is not to try harder and do better. When we see ourselves falling short of his kind of love, instead the question that I want you to ask is, what is it about the gospel, what is it about the person and the work of Jesus that has not yet taken root in my heart? What is it about who he is and all that he has done for me that I need to keep dwelling on and allowing to take root in my heart so that the fruit of the Spirit is what's naturally produced in my life? You see, the gospel is not just for people who aren't Christians yet. The gospel is for all of us every single day. And the only way you are going to be increasingly characterized by the fruit of God's spirit in you is when the person and the work of Jesus captivates your heart and when it transforms you. And so I want to encourage you this morning, ask God to cause the truths of the gospel, specifically this morning, his love for you made known in Christ to be beautiful and captivating to be the kind of transforming thing that your heart needs to see and believe. And so that in response to his radical love for you, you might be empowered by his spirit with a kind of love that is patient and kind. A kind of love that doesn't envy or boast. A kind of love that isn't prideful or dishonoring or self-seeking. One that's not easily angered one that doesn't keep a record of wrongs, a love that doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth, a love that always protects, always 
trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, a kind of agape love that does not fail. Only he can produce that kind of a love in you. You cannot manufacture it on your own. And so ask him to produce it in you as you see his own love for you.